Hello and welcome to Philly and the Over, a brand new Philadelphia-based sports gambling podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Joe Simonera. I'm joined by Shane Curran. Shane, tell us what's on tap for today. NFL coaching carousel. The Shane train. All right, time to cash in. Joe, you have been on fire in the playoffs. You are six and one. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think no, wait, hold on. I think I wait. How many uh, playoff games have there have there been? That we've been well, on? you haven't taken all of them. I want to say I, I think I might be six and one, but I think I've like the way I track it at least have six in a row. Uh, correct. So I think I may have lost the first one, the first one I bet, and then uh, and then hit hit the last six. So oh no, I'm, even better. You're six in a row, and you are eight and one in the playoffs. That's, that's more like it. There, there we go. you that's go. What I okay, Oof. eight and one. It's that a, is an impressive record. It's like eighty nine percent. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's been uh, the playoffs have been have been good. It's been a. Uh, you know, it's been kind of um, formulaic and just kind of picking a lot of underdogs. And it seems like in the playoffs, uh, that, that pays off a little bit. So thank well, you, I am Kansas excited City. to dive into your Super Bowl pick, but let's wait on that. Let's first get started with some coaching news. So there were, let's see, eight openings this year in the NFL, and all eight have now been filled. The first one, the Chargers hiring. Harbaugh for Michigan. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, when, when did they fire? Uh, what's his face in San Diego? Staley. It was uh, week sixteen, something like that. Brandon Staley. So yeah. So the f- I mean, if you go back and look at our week sixteen podcast, like we just said, Harbaugh is going to be there, and sure enough, yeah. that's yep. what happened. Um, you know, I think it's there. You know, it's not. I think it's going to become more of a trend. You you see Harbaugh, who obviously has the NFL pedigree, so it's easy for him to make that jump from college to the pros. But even a guy, a guy like Jeff Halfley, who was the head coach of Boston College uh, for the last couple of years, is uh, leaving Boston College to become the defense coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Um, obviously, he he wants to be a professional coach, um, but I think it's going to be an interesting trend where who wants to do college football anymore? Who wants to coach yeah. co- like? We've already you're, seen in college basketball, and I feel like the college football yeah. is now catching up. You see some of the, the legends are leaving. Burnout. Yeah, just absolute burnout. I mean, you're 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 working 23 hours a day, seven days a week, um, and you're not recruiting high school players anymore. You're recruiting first your own players, who you already have, because you got to get them to stay. Then you have to recruit the portal. Then you have to figure out NIL, and then you have to recruit high school. So it's just, I mean, your your job your job quadrupled. The players are now making you know making money. Um, and it changes a lot of things and. Um, a lot of, you know, your demands of the institution and things like that. And then when you try to get an upper hand, uh, like Harbaugh did, then you get caught. You're just going through hoop after hoop after hoop. The guy coached six games last year. <laughs> He's just, just just better for two different things. It's it's nuts. So, but, you know, he did what he had to do at Michigan, and and there he goes. So we, we kind of predicted that was coming, uh, uh, yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, my only thought on this is I'm happy for Justin Herbert. He finally gets an, an offensive guy yeah. in there rather than just a, you know, a quarterback's guy too. He was a quarterback. He started off as a quarterback's coach. So for Herbert to get that as opposed to the coaches that he's had throughout his his time yeah. there, it's it's just going to, I think that this is going to do wonders for him throughout the, uh, I mean, he's only I, been I think, like five years or so, but for the second half of his career, it's it's going to be a, you know, a blessing for him to be coached under Harbaugh. I think when we do our our you know, after we get past Super Bowl and into the offseason, we talk, you know, future MVPs, win totals, things like that. I think that the Chargers are going to come up quite a bit. 
Yeah, they, they have the talent on the team. Moving on to a pick that I absolutely, or a coach that I absolutely hate at the hiring of. Uh, actually liked it from the Eagles' perspective, but the Panthers <laughs> chose to hire Dan Quinn, the Cowboys' yeah. defensive coordinator. And I was shocked by this one. With a new ownership group coming in, I thought that they would make a, a, a different approach to this one and not, not go after uh, a guy like Dan Quinn. Well, I, I think they... I guess had their sights set on Ben Johnson, which very logical because he coached one of the best offenses in the NFL yep. this past year. Young guy kind of fits the fits the mold. And apparently they were like Josh Harris and company were going to visit him. And he just said, like, I have no interest in, in this, mess, this mess. So I'm going to stay in Detroit. Um, but even as hot of a name as Ben Johnson became, I really thought that they would have made a big time run at Harbaugh because you figure his brother basically lives in the same neighborhood. <laughs> um, maybe you could work something out that way. I thought they were going to make a big, big splash. And Dan Quinn is just, I mean, it's essentially just Ron Rivera <laughs> like yeah, from 12 exactly. years ago. So yep. I don't know how that improves your, your, your team uh, at all. Um, Especially I, I just, coming off that playoff loss to the Packers. Yeah, I, I don't know how yeah. you sell this to your fan base and you sell this to the, the players in the locker room to say that they, yeah. this was the best guy out there, it's especially, and we're going to talk yeah. about some of these other guys when there's, there's some other good coaches that are yeah. still, uh you know, unhired. So uh, the next one, the Falcons go with uh, not as sexy as a pick. You know, this is where Belichick was tied to, but Raheem Morris, mm -hmm. they hire him. Any thoughts on this one? Uh yeah, I mean, I think it's it's I think it's a good hire in that they're going to give him some time to kind of get the pieces around him that that he needs. Um, you know, we I think we talked about about Belichick where um, you know they're going to be able to find a quarterback, you know, or, or not find a quarterback, but trade for a quarterback or sign a quarterback in this offseason yeah. to uh, kind of build around. I, I I'm just curious what their approach to the offseason is after this. I, I you know, like you said, it's not a sexy higher but i think it's a sound higher and it's a guy who certainly deserves a chance to uh to be a head coach yeah and they so they have the number seven pick i believe this year uh mm. and you know they there are some quarterbacks that might be available there they might not have to trade up for them or they could use that like we said to to get a kyler mary type get a, a justin fields type that might be available to them yeah the panthers they uh made a move that this was probably the the uh, higher than I had known the least about Dave Canals. Mm -hmm. He was the Seahawks quarterback coach. And last year, uh, I'd say two years ago, actually, I guess at this point, Geno Smith had an extent, uh, ex uh, breakout season. Uh, prior to that, he coached Baker Mayfield when he had a breakout season. So he is a quarterback's guy. It seems like they're trying to bring in a quarterback's guy for Bryce Young. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, yeah that is, I mean, that's basically as good of a hire as you're going to get for, for that job, I think, because just like you said, this guy has, he's like the, the bad quarterback whisperer. So um, they have a, I mean, you have an expensive and an embarrassing problem on your hands with the way Bryce Young played this year. That guy doesn't look like he belongs on an NFL field at all. Weapons around him. Sure. Not great line. Not great. I, I, I understand all those things. Um, but Dave Canales has a very, very, very difficult job of writing the ship with Bryce Young. Everyone talks about like, oh, Peyton Manning, when he was a rookie, he threw 19 picks to 12 touchdowns or whatever it was. Look, we we, we bet our fair share on on Panthers or, or faded them. And so I've seen a lot of Bryce Young and that guy does not <laughs> appear to be comfortable at all on a football field. So um, Canales has this is not this is not, you know, not that he's not a good offensive mind, but this is not like the new hip offensive like 
juggernaut new whole yeah, system. That, that was Ben like, Johnson, right? Yeah, that's that ben, Johnson. ben Johnson. They, this is work with our quarterback and and try to save face on what we spent a first round pick on. So that's his that's his job this year. I mean, I don't expect a ton from him, but that's the job. The Patriots, I think we already covered this one. Jared Mayo, they hired him, interior Patriot promotion. Uh, nothing too crazy here. They're going to stick with the Patriot way. Was it in his contract or was that like a rumor? Yes, I heard that was in his contract as well, Why? which I was unaware of. <laughs> what an agent. That, that guy needs a raise. That, that's wild. Um, well, they they had the same yeah. thing with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mick, uh, the guy who was a, just got fired from the Raiders coach. Uh, he had that in his clause for, for a while too. And then... Uh, when Belichick chose not to retire and oh, come back, yeah. he decided to move on and and pursue elsewhere. But even like McDaniel's, that kind of like that would make more like draw Mayo. I didn't, I didn't like yeah. I know the name from when he was a player. Um, you know the other interesting thing was I guess Steve Belichick was like the co-defense coordinator or something for the Patriots, and uh, and he's now going to uh, work for Jed Fish in, in Washington. Um, <laughs> so he's he he's he's still hanging in, but I think that maybe he was expecting the old man to get a job too. And once that didn't happen, uh. Yeah, he's he's heading back to college. Yeah, the next one, uh, we I think we touched on this already as well. Antonio Pierce, the Raiders retain him. I think this is a good move just because, yeah. as you, as you can see from some of the headlines within the Eagles uh, locker room that have come out on whether or not the coach has won or lost the locker room, Antonio Pierce, the players have his back and they want yeah. him to be the coach. When you have that, you really shouldn't move away from that uh, uh, too quickly because I think gaining the trust of the players is obviously a a big part of, of coaching, especially when you have uh, these grown men making millions of dollars. I think the Raiders, they, they certainly already have one of, you know, one of, one of the better defensive, I mean, not one of the better, one of the best defensive uh, players, certainly defensive linemen in the NFL, Max Crosby right now, but maybe, you know, maybe try just building a sound defense for the Raiders. I mean, it feels like for mm. the entire time I've, I've known of the Oakland Raiders, it's, been all offense all the time all quarterback and that that goes you know um i you know i think that was kind of an al davis thing like we're gonna have a ton of speed at wide receiver we're gonna have a quarterback who can sling the ball and we're gonna win that way um i think that that you know maybe mark davis needs to take a step back and just say we have a defensive minded coach we have you know some some good defensive players maybe we try to build this thing that way instead of uh trying to take home runs with wide receivers in the draft every year well, it's going to be a tough sell in, in Las Vegas. I think they want the fireworks there. <laughs> hey, seriously. The Seahawks hired Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, to replace Pete Carroll. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting one. I, I I have no real thoughts on it. I mean, I'm sure the defense coordinator of the Ravens is a very solid football coach. Don't really know much about him other than other than what he did this, this past year. Uh, but I will say it was kind of odd. Like, Pete Carroll did not – like, the report was he took a position – whatever internally within the organization, but not yep. coaching. And he apparently like fought to be the head coach still. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's a little, little bit awkward, but uh, you know, I, I, he's, he, you know, Pete Carroll, I think he's a good football coach, but uh, certainly up there in age and uh, just a new, yeah, something new, I think for, for, for the Seahawks, but I don't anticipate like this move, making that team a lot better in the next season yeah. or anything like yep. that. So another move that definitely has a new face going from a defensive minded head coach in Mike Vrabel to Brian Callahan, the Bengals offensive coordinator. So Brian Callahan obviously had tremendous success working with Joe Burrow. Now he is going to be the head coach of the Titans. And one of the knocks on Vrabel was, you know, his offense was stale. And when you have yeah. a running back, that's like Derek Henry that can fall forward for four yards every single play, that might happen. They had a terrible yeah. offensive line for the past few years, and they really just leaned on their defense and and winning in the trenches and, you know, out, out coaching people. So uh, this is going to be a, a welcome change for Titans fans. 
Yeah, I think it's it's going to be you know different, but I don't know that it's better. Um, that that remains to be seen. I think there's still a lot of issues on this team, and it's a lot going to depend what they do in the offseason, how they draft to to correct some of those issues. You mentioned the offensive line. I, I watch, you know, I, I watch San Francisco. I watch Kansas City playing in these games. You know, obviously Detroit had a great run. That offensive line is just so. I mean, the Eagles went to the Super yeah. Bowl basically on the offensive line last year. It's just so important. If you don't have a good offensive line, you have no shot. Like. No shot. So, um, I, yeah, I think they have some some issues to certainly correct. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, again, like a sound hire. I don't know if it's better than Vrabel. Um, that remains to be seen, but it really depends on, you know, how they build this team uh, in this coach's vision. All right. Moving on to the offensive and defensive coordinators. I'm just going to cherry pick a few stories that I found interesting. Then we can move on to some of the Eagles' new hires. First, we talked about at the top. Ben Johnson staying in Detroit. So he is, uh, he has led, I think the past three years, the Detroit lions, uh, offense, they've had tremendous success. They've put up a lot of points and really an offense that wasn't necessarily expected to do that. Uh, he's made Jared Goff turn into a, a, mm-hmm. a very, um, palpable quarterback again, uh, like he was early in his career under Sean McVay. He's 37 years old and he's turned down head coaching opportunities for the past two years. I personally think it's a good idea for him to just remain here and and wait for that position that, that he wants. So for instance, if he is off for that chargers position, maybe mm-hmm. that's one he takes, but the, the rumors were coming down of the commanders and the Seahawks and, you know, the Seahawks tend to be, uh, they've been a good organization over the past two decades. However, if you look around the just the talent and and who you're yeah. going coaching against uh, in that division, that might not be the best uh, the best place to go. So, any other thoughts on Ben Johnson? No, I, I like I said, I I respect the the decision to say like I'm I don't want to coach the Washington Commanders. <laughs> like I don't want to get involved in this right now. And granted, they they might have a quarterback. I think it's telling that you know obviously Ben Johnson probably knows a little bit more about quarterbacking. Um, in the NFL than I do, but if he looks at it and says, Sam Howe, that, that guy has it, maybe he takes that job. So yeah. maybe from an Eagles fan perspective, he doesn't want it. Perhaps he sees something in Howe where he doesn't like it, or perhaps it's just total organization-wide where he just says, ah, not, not for me. So if that was you know his best option, I'm surprised, but, but I kind of respect him holding out. The next coach. So <laughs> this was uh, a coach that was rumored to be uh, in consideration for the Eagles offensive coordinator position. And then it was rumored that he was hired by the Las Vegas Raiders as their offensive coordinator. And then that was revoked. And now he is the Washington commanders offensive coordinator. Cliff Kingsbury makes an appearance back in the NFL. Um, The guy just has not really put the success together in the NFL. He he coached Patrick Mahomes in college. Patrick Mahomes started when when God created Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how much Cliff Kingsbury has to do with this guy being who he is now. I think it's more his genetics and his <laughs> mental makeup um, than, than the coach. But it seems like Cliff Kingsbury is riding that wave <laughs> for, for quite a while. Um, I, I'm not scared. I've, yeah, I have yeah. no no concerns. Um, I, I the guy's got to prove it at some point in the NFL, and he's not been able to do it. Um, so I have no concerns. I do love my favorite, uh, probably image ever is um, it was you know COVID and they're it's the NFL draft yeah. and all the coaches are like at home and he's sitting like he's wearing like like a white like linen pants and white shirt and he's just on this like enormous leather couch in this room that's just like it's just a basically an empty white room with like a giant 
just a complete like floor to ceiling windows. And like the NFL tweeted it out or something, somebody tweeted out and said like, what does it look like Cliff Kingsbury does? And somebody just commented cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It's just a a great tweet, but uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not scared. So I, I I don't know if that means it's good high or not, but I'm not worried about a Cliff Kingsbury led offense against uh, um, the NFC's defenses. Gotcha. So sticking with the Washington commanders, another offensive coordinator, a potential hire popped up and this one piqued my interest. Chip Kelly was considered yeah. to make a return to the NFL. He's had uh, a lot of success at UCLA after he left the Eagles. And I, you know, the rumors are that he doesn't really want to jump into the whole big 10 move and, and have that type of, uh, you know, just deal with what comes with that. Uh, there's yeah. going to be, there's going to be a lot of moving parts over the next few years as, as the, these new teams shift into the, you know, the bit, the power five conferences. So, it was interesting to hear his name come up, though. So do you think we'll see a, a Chip Kelly reemergence in the NFL within the next few years? Well, I think after this season, his stock is not going to be high because UCLA is going to get get rocked in a lot of a lot of games this year. They're not going to be a very good, uh, a very good team. Their first year going to the Big Ten, especially with, you know, their, their star quarterback transferring out. This is again, he doesn't he's not like he's not into it. Chip Kelly is not is not about what like James Franklin. I, say what you will about him, but he is built for the job that he has coaching college football at a high level. Not that he knows anything about X's and O's, but what that job requires now is so much more than that. And Franklin is such a good figurehead for that job. Chip Kelly is not Chip Kelly's not going on UCLA radio and glad handing. He's not, you know, taking his helicopter to bumfuck California to recruit. He's not doing any of that stuff. He's not, he doesn't want to get involved in the NIL. He probably doesn't think players should be making money to to begin with. Um, So I, I really just don't think that, he's interested in coaching college football for what it is anymore. It's just a totally different thing than coaching football. Um, That's like, that's like number seven down your responsibility list. If you're a big time college head coach. So he definitely wants to go back to the NFL, but I didn't ever think for a second, he would um, take an offensive coordinator job because he doesn't have any control. And Hmm. he came into the Eagles and was like, all right, uh, Roseman is now the janitor here and I'm doing (laughs) everything personnel wise. And I hope you like organ players and, yeah, I mean, he gave us Lane Johnson, which I guess is uh, it was his one uh, bright spot, just an athletic offensive lineman. But um, just to not have the control would just shock me. But unless he finds a situation where he says, all right, we got a lame duck coach. I'll be the offensive coordinator, the fire that coach, and then I'll take this job. Like, yeah. that would be the only scenario I could see. But, yeah, I mean, this is uh, – man, I just – what Chip Kelly had at Oregon, I just remember watching those games, and it's like they're putting up 79 points, and it's just every player is just like scoring at will. And and what it became is just just nuts. It's just so different. But um, yeah, this is just you know, it's not it's not for him anymore. So an NFL move, I think, is inevitable for him. But he's going to have to realize he doesn't have all the control. Gotcha. Just a few left here. Eric Bieniemy was <laughs> hired by the Washington Commanders last year to be their offensive coordinator. As Ron Rivera left and a new head coach came in, they decided to replace him as well. And you sort of nailed on it in in your last you know bit there about Chip Kelly is you know he thought maybe he could come into an offensive coordinator mm-hmm. and take over the head coaching job. I thought that's what Bieniemy was doing. However, it seems like they're moving in a different direction. And Eric Bieniemy has led. And maybe everyone thinks it's just Patrick Mahomes. Maybe this guy doesn't interview well, but he seemed to have success. And even with Sam Howell, he seemed to, you know, have some success with him early in the year. So yeah. I was surprised to see not just that he got fired. I understand new coaches. They won't bring in their guys, but that he, he wasn't, he hasn't uh, taken another opportunity to ship. 
it's one of the one of the oddest. It, it's one of the oddest things in in the NFL that I, I'll never understand. I haven't really ever gotten a good answer on it, but I mean, like you've seen a. Nick Sirianni is a very good example of a guy who was an office coordinator for like two years and gets a head coaching job. Like yeah. Eric Bieniemy was winning Super Bowls, leading the best offense in the NFL for a number of years, and never really sniffed a head coaching job. And I don't know I mean, if it's the only thing but, I think of like like what's his name uh, Adrian Griffin, the the Bucks coach mm-hmm. who just got fired mm-hmm. after leading the team to thirty and thirteen, and they fired him even though he had a winning record. And it's just because yeah. ma- guys just didn't really I respond guess, to him. Yeah. So maybe and, he's just maybe he's just an awkward dude. Didn't something like that come out in Washington? Like the was it him or Rivera that the players had a? I think it was him, and the players were going to Rivera saying like, "This guy's got to chill. Like he's he's a little tough on us." I think that I think that came out like early in the year. Mm, okay, um, it was one or the other, but yeah, that that very well could be it. All right, so now I want to talk about two coaches that are exclusions. So Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel did not land a job as we went through this earlier. We were thinking that Vrabel, aside from Harbaugh, would be one of the top recruits. It seems like the fact that he didn't get any of these jobs after the, you know, great coaching job that he did with the Titans is that he left the Titans because he had disagreements with the GM and the owner over his role within the organization. He went more control. Uh, It seems like that news spread throughout to other GMs and owners because no one, no one wants to touch this guy with a a 10 foot pole. Yeah. You do not want to cross NFL owners. That's Mike Rabel will, will, certainly learn that. I mean, you know, from we're a gambling podcast and from that perspective, it was always kind of like, wait, like a Mike Vrabel team is getting seven and a half points. Like we're going to yeah. hammer that. Like he was always, he would always keep his team in games, win games that they shouldn't have won. That kind of thing. Um, always appeared to just have his team ready to go, ready to play. Like he always appeared to be a very good coach. So I'm a little surprised. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think that he may got a little blacklisted uh, with, with with the owner owners. So they talk. I mean, there's only 32 oh, of them yeah. in the world. So um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Um, very interesting. Any thoughts on Belichick? I, I mean, I think that he wanted to continue going, essentially to catch like Don Shula's record, yep. which is kind of odd. And then if you're, I don't know, if you're you're an NFL team that's look. Not every NFL team had Herbert, so that's kind of the marquee job. I mean, do any of the other new coaching hires have, like, that franchise quarterback? I don't think. I mean, we just went through them all, and I wasn't paying attention, but... I mean, possibly the Panthers. Uh, oh, right. But <laughs> yeah, Jesus. I mean, that's really it. Sam Howell, yeah, I don't so, think so. Desmond Ritter, absolutely not. Uh, so, the Patriots, no. Raiders, yeah, no. So yeah. is, is, the point is, is Belichick the guy to come in and, like just, I don't know, win six games again and then maybe like draft and now he's 73 years older. Like, yeah. so I think that may just put some teams off. I think he obviously was probably, you know, he, he probably, did, he, there was certainly some selectivity by him of I'm only going to go to here, here, here. Like, I don't know what those places were um, or how many there were, but I think that's kind of part of it too. Um, See, I thought the commanders would have, would have taken a stab at Belichick sure, just, just because it's, a splash. it's, yeah, yeah, it's a splash, but it's also, like there are new owners that come in. And I think one of the mistakes that new owners make is, Hey, I was the smartest guy in my industry for so long. I have all this money that I acquired doing that. I'm going to be great at being an NFL owner. And they quickly realize that it's not that easy. So I would have thought that Josh Harris being said he has owned, you know, he owns multiple other sports organizations that he could hire a guy to say, Hey, teach me the sport and teach me what I need to do. And who better to hire than Belichick. I, I I was I was really shocked that that 
they did not pursue him and I, I didn't even see them interview him. So I was, uh, yeah, surprised by that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly odd. Um, and especially, you know, you look at, I, I think that Harris is, I be, well, I believe it was his first hire with the devils, I think was Lindy Roth, who obviously was just like a, you know, just great coach all, you know, whatever, all the yeah. place, obviously when the Sixers were tanking, they didn't need that marquee guy, but as soon as they needed that marquee guy, they went out and get Doc Rivers. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and now Nick Nurse, another another champion. I, I don't know about a soccer club, but like it would have made a lot of sense for that's Harris's thinking, like, ha, huh, that's a name I know. This guy's gonna lead yep. us to the promised land. Let's go hire him. Um, so yeah, it's very odd that they took a different different route there. Um, yeah, or, or but again, maybe Belichick just said, I don't think so. I'm good. All right. And moving on to the Eagles, the Eagles hired two new coordinators for the second year in a row. This year, a familiar hire, Kellen Moore, who coached mm-hmm. for as the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys for several years before spending one year with the Chargers uh, last year and coaching uh, Justin Herbert. What are your thoughts on on this hire? Um, I was I forget who I was, I was with some people when I saw the news that they had officially hired Kellen Moore, and um, you know my 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 read on him and my thought on him was like very odd that this guy still is kicking around the NFL. I, I thought that he would have become a college head coach. I thought that like, I think that is the, the role for him. Young guy, uh, great offensive mind had all of his playing success at the collegiate level. Um, it, it just seems like he would have been a guy who would have been able to get a power five job pretty easily and had this insane offense, like a Lincoln Riley type offense. that's going to score a ton of points in college football. Um, but then the more I thought about it, the more I, think the reasons that Harbaugh left and Chip Kelly wants to leave and save and retired, like who wants to do it? So, you know, we keep going back to that, but I think that that's part with Kellen Moore. So um, from an NFL perspective and, and it's higher, I thought that he got a raw deal with the Cowboys because I think they had some really good offenses. Um, you know, I, I think last year was <laughs> challenging, um, I guess. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, just not, not, I, I don't think it was a great reflection of, of him, although, um, I think there was some success there. So I think it's a it's a good hire. I, I mean, I have no complaints over it because uh, I do think the guy is a really good offensive mind. Um, I, and I think that he's going to really work to the strengths of, you know, the Eagles offense. So uh, that that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a very important job. And maybe it's another situation where he says not. Well, we'll, we'll get to it in a second. But um, yeah, so I, I mean, I had I, I know yeah, where you're going with we'll this. I had a similar thought. Yeah. Well, I had a similar thought that, you know, when he went to the chargers, I thought that's why he was going there because whenever he gets fired, if he does a good enough job on offense, mm-hmm. you knew Brendan Saley was on the, the, uh, the short list of coaches get fired. So with Kellen Moore, I mean, I, I don't blame him. I mean, it's very similar to Ben Johnson, right? He's mm-hmm. except Kellen Moore's younger. He's only 35 years old. Yeah. He's 35 years old. He had tremendous success with the Cowboys. I think he turned Dak into a, a much better quarterback yeah. than Dak would have been prior to that. I think he's going to a situation in which, listen, you have two of the top 25 receivers in the NFL. You have a top 10 uh, tight end. You have, we'll see what what pieces they fill, but you know, a top 15 offensive line. But you're, you're going to have two of the top six tackles probably. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, so he's got some a lot of so. Yeah, and you, you know, you're looking there. at all that and you're thinking, okay, now I need a quarterback that is smart and willing to learn and you have you have that. So, between all that, it seems like a great job to take as the offensive coordinator, plus you have a young head coach. So, I think mm-hmm. having a younger head coach like Nick Sirianni, he's going to be more willing and open to say, yeah, let's try that. 
as opposed to someone who's kind of stuck in their ways and say, no, I've done that before. We're not, you know, we're not even going to give that a shot. Yeah. So I think those three together are actually going to find some success working together to, to build an offense. And it actually reminds me a little bit of when LaFleur was hired the first year with the Packers. And, you know, he tried to bring his offense in. Rogers didn't like it, you know, and they were going back and forth. So the next offseason, they all got on, you know, I think it was during COVID. They all got on conference calls and they built an offense that worked for everyone. Hey, what are your favorite plays to run um, and why? Yeah. And you have those conversations and you can build an offense around that. So I think that this is this was a great hire. Uh, moving on to the defensive side, I I was really hoping that the Eagles would hire a younger offensive uh, coordinator and an older defensive coordinator, because I think from the defensive perspective, you don't need as much innovation. I think what you need from the defensive side is more of like uh, football history, right? Yeah. You see so many different positions on offense and, you know, formations, and you know what types of formations can, can you know, um, combat that. So even though there's new offenses coming out, they really are just versions of other offenses, right? They're, they're enhanced based on, you know, people's per, uh, you know, people's ideas from the past. And you're, you know, you're taking that and plucking that and creating your own thing. So having a guy who's been around the league for such a long time, I think will really help. And I think it's going to help Nick Sirianni as well. I think in getting a guy who's done that, who's, who's had head coaching experience, I think that that's, that's a really good hire for the Eagles. And, and, Go back to that on Moore as well. This is not a guy who's never run an offense before. Like Moore is a guy who has yeah. run offenses. So that's that's another plus. With with Vic Fangio, though, according to the defense, I think that you know, he comes in and looks at it and says, All right, we we should be dominating the trenches every single game. Like we should start there. There's obviously issues with linebacker, there's issues in the secondary, uh, be it injury or or or, or something else. But I, I think that you have to have a steady hand who just kind of says, like, all right this is where, you know, this is where we need to improve. This is where we're good. Let's just take it one step at a time. And I think that's what he's going to do. Uh, you know, I, I think that the guy has been a head coach before he's, he's been, been involved. He's seven years old, I think, isn't he? He's like, he's, he's up older. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that, that for him to come in, it, it's going to be, like you said, it'll be steady for Sirianni, but I do think that he has to see there is talent, there is potential, um, you know, in this locker room on this defense. Uh, let's, let's continue to build on it. And I, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a good, good hire. I think it's a good spot for him. What I was kind of getting at with, with more is you know, let's, let's say the Eagles lose the first three games of the season and they fire Nick Sirianni. <laughs> I mean, is Fangio there to ride him out the rest of the season or do they just say, all right, more interim coach prove it. You know, what, what are they doing in that situation? Hopefully it don't get there, but yeah, um, I, th I think both these guys say I might be the head coach of the Eagles by, by the end of this year. So, yeah. So it actually, the, the Vic Fangio hire reminds me of when Sean McVay took over the Rams and everyone's like, wow, a 30, whatever he was 32 years mm -hmm. old at the time. And what they did was they hired the oldest defensive coordinator that was still around Wade Phillips because he just knew his stuff. And and it allowed McVay to not have to spend any of his time on something that he hadn't before, yeah. which is the defensive side. He could work on the offense. You got a steady hand on defense and it just frees up time to, to work on, you know, how do we make the best of this team? Okay. I'll turn over some responsibility and, and, and not have to worry about that. So I think that, yeah. uh, yeah, I think all in all, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with both of these hires and excited to see what, uh, how they can, uh, improve the, the, yeah, Eagles. that's, that's, that's a great comparison. I think that, really is the, the ideal scenario for, for the Eagles, like a Wade Phillips and, and Sean McVay situation. Moving on to some coaching hires in college football. Joe, take Ooh, it away. That, that carousel is continuing to move. Um, yeah, there, there have been a, a handful of, of 
you know, huge uh, coaching moves. Um, Jim Harbaugh, obviously, we talked about. He leaves, and and Michigan does, I think, the right thing and, and hires Schro more. Um, right away, they kind of steady everything at Michigan. Um, so that I kind of fall into the category of like, yes, that hire makes sense. Um, I get it. Um, but I want to talk about the hires that I think make, you know, either teams that took big risks, which I think are going to pay off, or teams that, uh, you know, maybe I think hired a guy who I don't think it's going to necessarily work out. Um, so we're only going to go through a, a couple of these, but uh, um, one of the hires I found, the, probably the most interesting hire I found, which I think is a good hire. Uh, so a guy named Pete Lembo is now the head coach at the University of Buffalo after being the special teams coordinator at South Carolina. Uh, why does a South Carolina special teams coordinator get a head coaching job? Is because South Carolina has had the best special teams in the country for basically every year under him, and it's not even been a comparison. They've been so far and away better than every other special teams. Now, their coach is Shane Beamer, whose father, Frank Beamer, of course, from Virginia Tech, invented Beamer ball, which was having incredible special teams play. So that goes into it. But Pete Lambeau also has special team or uh, head coaching experience from, I think what was Bowling Green. He was at um, where he had some success, never necessarily got over the hump where they, they need them to. Um, but I think, you know, playing in, or coaching in a major program and, and, and really excelling at your job. I think he's earned the hire. Um, and I think that he can certainly have an impact at Buffalo where, you know, that's always a school like, like, you know, it's Cleo Mack went there. They, they've been able to get players, um, they, they've kind of been meandering though in, in, in the Mac as of, as of late, but I think this is a kind of a hire where it's outside the box thinking. Um, and I think it's going to, going to pay off for them. Um, the most inside the box thinking was uh, from Alabama where they just hired Kalen DeBoer, who yeah. uh, coming from Washington off of a, a national championship um, appearance. Uh, I did not necessarily think this would have been the move. I thought that Mike Norvell would have been Alabama's first call. And I believe he was, um, and he declines. And then they probably called Dan Lanning, the young, young coach at, at Oregon. And he declined. Um, and the reason they both declined, I think Norvell may even said as much, um, uh, the NIL situation is better at Florida state and Oregon. And so yeah. this is like reason number one. I despise what's happening in college athletics right now is that you just took a job that I, I think that if, Dan Lanning's a young guy and Dan, Dan Lanning, everyone just says he'll get Alabama the next time around. Not a big deal. He's 36 or something um, for, for a guy like Norvell though, to want to say at Florida state, cause you know, they have this, this bigger spend and he thinks there's a better chance to win at Florida state than Alabama. That's, that's like a, a bit of a problem for me because I just think like you have to college football, especially in the South is so rooted in history. And if you want to be considered great, the two best college football coaches of all time, in this order are one Nick Saban, two Bear Bryant. That's the top two. That's that's tier one A. And like you want to be there, Alabama's the place to be. Like that used to be such a prestige thing. And now he's just like, eh, you know, there's a guy who has a hedge fund who graduated from Florida State, and we're good because we're gonna yeah. give this wide wide receiver, you know, from Fort Myers three million dollars to play for two years. Like that that rubs me a little bit the wrong way. But Alabama obviously regrouped easily and went after Kalen DeBoer. And the reason I mean this is nothing earth shattering, but uh, Caleb DeBoer is just one. He just never, he never loses. He just doesn't lose. He just never, ever loses. It's, it's incredible. His, his, his record as a head coach is something like 112 and 14. Like it's an insane, like at, at different levels, of course, because he was coaching at like a maybe D three and then sort of worked his way up. Um, I didn't think that he would be interested in really going to the sec. Um, I thought the big 10 would have been uh, really an ideal spot for, for a guy like, like DeBoer. Uh, I think he's from, I think he's from Idaho. Like it's kind of an odd, 
odd path, but I think he sees Alabama is still the marquee yep. um, program. He sees there's a lot there. So um, I think that's a sound hire. They, they got a winner. Um, apparently the players at Alabama don't, don't feel that way because they're all leaving. Um, yeah. So I, I read an, an uh, interesting article this week and it was about how pissed off Ohio state um, fans and alumni are that Michigan won. So what they did is they flooded additional money into the into the school and the program so that they could take it, take advantage of the transfer portal. And here's some of the hires that they, um, or some of the transfers that they've gotten already in 2024, Caleb Downs, five-star safety transfer from Alabama to Ohio state. The, the best in the, in the era of the transfer portal, he is the best player. That's not a quarterback in the history of it for sure. Not even Ju- close. Julian Sayan, five-star quarterback mm-hmm. transferred from Ohio, uh, Alabama to Ohio state. That one uh, I couldn't believe. Quinshaw Jukins, four-star uh-huh. running back transfer from Ole Miss to Ohio State. Will yep. Howard, four-star quarterback transfer from Kansas State to Ohio State. Yep. Seth McLaughlin, four-star center transfer from Alabama to Ohio He's State. He's got to snap the ball, though, so that, that could <laughs> right. work out well. Yeah. He uh, cost, basically cost him a national title, but yeah. And three-star tight end transferred from Ohio to Ohio State, uh, Will um, Kak Merrick. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think what's interesting there is is so – the first move Ohio State made in this offseason was um, Will Howard, who played, I believe, at Downingtown, which is right around right around us. Um, but Will Howard is, I, I think he's maybe a, a step above Kyle McCord. Um, but what he showed at Kansas State wasn't much better than what McCord did at, at Ohio State. And you can say, well, it was the receiving room, but will howard's going to have good receivers to it at ohio state so I, I just think that's almost like a lateral move but then this alabama thing when they're getting when they're you know getting caleb downs or getting julian saying that's and you're getting not, three starters from alabama then, to add to your team and, yeah. and then you're taking quinchon junkins who was the best running back in college football at all miss last year uh yeah they're and, and they still have travion henderson um that's what happens at ohio state if you lose to michigan two years in a row that's just that's what it is so they are not going to do that again and if they do there's going to be there's going to be some questions. Um, Ryan Day is is got his neck on the line. I think right now they have to win. I mean, they got they essentially have to go undefeated and win a national title this year. Um, I think they spent a ton of money on this team. <laughs> That's what's going to have to happen. If Will Howard throws a pick like in the first game, they're going to they're going to be at his throat to, to, to get saying in there. Um, so yeah, uh, look out for the for the Buckeyes. They are uh, they are in win right now mode. Another, you know, another interesting hire where I think it's going to work out for for this team is is JMU. So they lost uh, their head coach Kirk Signetti uh, to Indiana after uh, just a lot of success after they moved up to uh, um, after they moved up to the FBS. They they still continued winning and uh, just really good run there. Um, now they went outside the box to to an extent um, where they really didn't hire a household name, and it's a guy whose name I heard. Like I kind of remember hearing his name maybe a year and a half ago. Um, his name is Bob Chesney, and he is the head coach at Holy Cross, which is a, uh, a small college outside of um, outside of Boston. Uh, didn't know they had a football team. Uh, w- wouldn't have. Hmm. They were a team that would even have football, uh, but they are in the Patriot League, and this guy has won the Patriot League the last four years, um, and really just a uh, uh, a guy who wins. And I think when when you know, you're looking for a a college football coach, a guy who wins, I think, is really, really important. Um, so I think this is a uh, I think this is a, a very cool hire for um, 
for for James Madison, and uh, I think that Bob Chesney's going to have some some success, uh, some success there. He's he's a younger guy. He's I think he's forty five or forty six, and uh, he's really done done nothing but win and, and have a ton of success. So um, very impressive uh, resume, and I think it's a cool outside the box hire for JMU, which uh, which I think will will pay off. Um, I want to get into a couple hires now that I just think are a little bit odd, and I don't see necessarily working out. Uh, number one is Mike Elko going to Texas A&M. Uh, Mike Elko did a phenomenal job at Duke. Uh, really could not have done a better job uh, than he did at, at Duke and certainly deserves the paycheck and all that stuff. But Texas A&M is such a cult um, where you have to do the song and dance for the oil money. Like they have all these boosters and it's, it's you're really, really doing the glad hand thing. You're, 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 expected to do a lot more uh than just coach football there uh it's it's a job where like the resources are unlimited but it seems so hard to win there for some reason for some reason um and i just think that elko i, I think that he's you know a&m like they were going to hire lance leipold who i think's you know now that saban's gone maybe the third best coach in all of college football and the Texas A&M fans are like, absolutely not. Like we're not taking some guy from Kansas. Well, now you have Mike Elko from Duke. So in, in that, but you know, he, he, he had a stint at Texas A&M, but I think as the head coach, it's just so much different. I think it's, it's not anything against Elko. I just think it's such a hard, hard place to win. Um, another, another hire that I'm not, uh, I'm a little just confused about is Fran Brown. He gave an all time, all-time press conference, all-time press conference. Uh, Syracuse hires him from Georgia. He was their deep, Georgia's defense backs coach. Um, obviously, Georgia has all the talent in the world, and I think that I could probably coach them up to to be, you know, okay. Um, he goes to Syracuse and basically just says, like, uh, he, he's from Camden, and he just said, uh, like, I, you know, I grew up on welfare. Like, I grew up on food stamps. I am here to stay. They're paying me well. I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm good. This is not a stepping stone job. Like, I'm good here. So he said all the right things at this press conference, but almost an impossible place to win at is Syracuse. <laughs> so, again, this is a really tough job. Um, but I just think a young up-and-coming guy like Fran Brown, hang on. Become a defense coordinator at Georgia maybe in a, in a year or two, and then you then you go for that big, um, that big jump. I think Syracuse, like, everyone knows the school. But it's a tough, tough place to win. So I think that's going to be um, that's going to be a bit of a challenge, uh, a challenge for for him there. Um, you know, another I, I, there, there, there's there's a lot of um, uh, you know a lot of mixed emotions here um, because Manny Diaz was such a strong defensive yeah. coordinator for Penn State, and I wish he had just stayed. So I think that I'm I'm partially uh, upset with that. Um, the, the one I think common misconception about Manny Diaz is people think that he was horrible at Miami. Uh, I don't think that's fair. He was 21 and 15 in his time there. It, it doesn't get it done for Miami. Um, Duke is not going to be able to recruit the same. Was he, when he was at Miami, was he under sanctions there as well? I know when Al Golden took um, over there, he was, but I, I wasn't sure if there's any overlap uh, between him and Diaz. Really good question. I, that, obviously that filters into the, the record as well. Well, that was it. Was really the interesting situation there, where I don't think they were because Mark Mark Richt was the head coach and Diaz was his defense coordinator, and uh, Diaz took the Temple job. He was Temple's head coach for, for a, a week, yeah. yeah. And then Mark Richt retired, but yeah. I can't remember if it was Sags or I think it was health related. I, I actually, yeah, I, no, I think you're right. I think because I think when yeah when Gold went there, it was that then it was announced after he took the job. So yes, yeah. Golden, I think going to Temple. We've talked about this 
just uh, Temple. I mean, when you look back, like it's weird to think that was a Division One college football program. Yeah, like it was all junior college yeah. transfers. Their coach was like this this old guy from Alabama. It was just a weird thing. Golden went there, cleaned it up, and I think that that kind of got him a reputation. And Miami needed some cleaning up, so he goes there and, and flames out. Um, I, I think that Elko did a great job at Duke. Uh, I still think it's a very, very challenging place to win, although I think they are um, investing more in the football program. Uh, and this could be like a Brent Pry situation where Brent Pry goes to Virginia Tech after being, you know, Penn State's defense coordinator and has just a disastrous first year and then basically a disastrous start to his second year, but really turned it on at the end. And now there's a lot of buzz around it. I think this could take Diaz some time, but I just think this guy should be a defense coordinator and he needs the athletes like Penn state. We, we know what kind of athletes they have. You're, you're, you're not getting that at Duke and you still have to stop some, some pretty good offenses in the ACC. Uh, I just think it's a tough, tough job. I, I, I wish Diaz had stayed. So maybe that's part of why I'm, I'm concerned about this hire, but I don't think it was the right, uh, the right move for Duke or Manny Diaz at, at this current time. So uh, there's a lot of other moves, a lot remains to be seen, but those are the ones that I, I have some, some immediate thoughts on. Place your bets. All right. This week on the Shane Train, we are going to take a ride on the True or False Express. The first one. So, Joe, I'm going to give you a bunch of stories that I read this week. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to list them as a statement. You tell me whether it's true or false and why. Uh, I'm going to embarrass myself here. So, first off, Carl Weathers died. Uh, He was legendary for his acting role as Apollo Creed in the Rocky films and Chubbs in Happy Gilmore. Is he the greatest athlete turned actor? True or false? Uh, false. OJ Simpson. Everyone knows this. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, that is a great, great question. Uh, so you are a movie buff, which is man. why I asked you this question. Yeah. So as you go through um, that, I, I did a little bit of research to help you along because this is the first time you're hearing this. It, how it depends how deep in like, like. I'm sure Paul Newman played fullback or something at a college, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, in 1921, but like, how deep are we going into the athlete thing? So I, I was, I, I was approaching this from a few different angles because, so he did play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other guys on uh, a list that I made were, you know, are they the greatest actor that was an athlete or the greatest athlete that became an actor? Right. Okay. So you can sort of interpret this however you want. I mean, there's one on this list that definitely jumps out above the rest. I'll save that for last. But so The Rock played college football. Um, he is one of the most profitable, you know, yeah. uh, actors. Uh, Lou Ferrigno and Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of fall to the same category <laughs> yeah. there, right? Yeah. They, they're yeah. athletes. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jordan with his uh, appearance at Space Jam. Uh, okay. Yeah. He cannot act though. So yeah, uh, that's out. Andre okay. the Giant. Um, here oh, was boy. another one. So this is getting into uh, so the, uh, you know, the, what you mentioned about like, did they play a snap in, in high school? Right. Uh, Tony Danza was a, a boxer before he began. Oh, acting. interesting. Did not know that. Okay. Um, we have I Jim don't Brown. think you mentioned a good actor yet, though. Okay. <laughs> so here we're getting to some now. Burt Reynolds and Kevin Costner. Yeah. Okay. So those so, are legit actors. And then uh, John Cena. And then, okay. So here's the last one. Bruce Lee. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't consider like the rock uh dave batista john cena i don't consider those guys obviously great athletes but so much of what they do is just stage performing that'd be like i mean they're they're essentially playing characters um you know when, when they're in the, in the ring and everything so i don't necessarily uh include them in that um yeah i think kevin costner is a good one obviously burt reynolds uh is probably the one that most people come up with um when they say it. but yeah i mean look carl weathers uh it's interesting 
all like the tributes that came in after after he passed away, the one thing everyone was saying like before really anything else was like what a, what an athlete, just like a tremendous yeah. athlete. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting because you kind of like I don't know you kind of forget, but uh, yeah, Carl Weathers had a uh, had a great run. Um, yeah, yeah. RIP. So uh, of this list, I would think you know Bruce Lee. I think is probably the the most iconic worldwide, and right, he's he's he sort yeah. of. Sh- introduce mixed martial arts in a yeah. cool way to, to everyone yeah. and, and sort of start that. But Carl Weathers, you know, the role of Apollo Creed and even mm-hmm. Chubbs and Happy Gilmore, but definitely Apollo Creed, like that's a character that has yeah, he was been an gone actor, for, like, for decades. And that, that one's going to continue. That character is going to live on for, for yeah. quite some time. Yeah. I mean, it's been, yeah, absolutely. That is not, a, not a uh, character anyone will soon forget. Um, yeah. That's yeah. yeah I just had a great, I mean, then you talk about, you know, it was in, uh, you know, predator and of course, happy, <laughs> happy Gilmore where I just, like the one thing back in, in those days with, with Adam Sandler, like Carl Weathers is probably a fairly serious guy. And you'll see in so many movies where, you know, you're, you're putting somebody with like an Adam Sandler back then, a Jim Carrey, a Chris Farley, like you better be able to react to those guys because they're, yeah. they're, they're doing a high wire act and you don't know what's coming out of their mouth. And also like the humor's not for you, Carl Weathers. It's, it's for the 13 year old kid, but, like you have to buy it and he just played it so straight yeah. and so funny. Like it was the stuff with the, the hand, like it still, <laughs> it still just cracks. It, it just makes you laugh so hard every time. So um, yeah, just what a, I mean, insane career and uh, yeah, a, a big, big, uh, big life for that guy. RIP. All right. Number two on the Shane train true or false edition. Carter Hart will play for the flyers again this year. Oh, uh, false. Yeah. There's 0% chance. Um, he'll never play for the flyers again. Uh, the one, you know, this is such a, it's such an interesting um, story to, to have followed where the, the incident took place six years ago. Mm-hmm. The NFL did some sort of, or not the NFL, NHL. the NHL, because I think it was five of the six uh, defendants were NHL players, active NHL players. Um, and I guess they kind of said, well, we tried to do our investigation, but uh, there wasn't enough cooperation or something to do it. Well, so, I mean, I kind of remember the story when it came out, but it didn't yep. register until it came back around. And uh, um, the Flyers put him under some odd designation now, which essentially, from what I gather, is like he's off the team. Um, yeah, so I think there's some loophole where he can come back if, like, they find out, I don't know, something new emerges where they could bring him back, but... Um, as of now, it seems like like they can use the cap space. So that's, that's what I read today after yeah. I put this together. It's probably like two hours ago, it got released that the NHL has allowed a return of cap space. And I've never heard this before across any sport. No, a return yeah, of either. cap space yep. for these teams to use for the players that are on this leave of absence, which is yeah. shocking. I mean, that's I'm 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 shocked that that's even uh, legal within the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, and I, I wonder if there's something where it's like, I, I mean, it's obviously an odd circumstance, but maybe the NHL you know, botched this investigation. And when you're talking, this happened six years ago, guys were signed to contracts like in between then and now. So you thought that, uh, well, you know, what's interesting. (laughs) The Flyers have drafted a ton of goaltenders. Yeah. And and we always commented on that and didn't really understand why. Maybe this has something to do with it. I I, I don't know, but, or maybe just, you know, you always want to have a lot of bites of that apple, but um, yeah, I, I just wonder if the NHL is kind of, trying to make amends where like, Hey, we screwed this up and you signed this guy to a lot of money. So here, have that back. And now the Flyers fans are like, there's only one guy to spend that on. And it's, it's Claude Drew, bring him back. So <laughs> bring the leader. We'll see. But uh, yeah, this is, this is an odd, um, odd situation for sure. And, uh, and a sad story. 
Sticking with the Flyers, true or false? Flyers will be buyers and sellers at the trade deadline. Um, false. Uh, they're going to trade like Scott Lawton, I think. I think that he'll be traded. Maybe like a guy like Mark Stahl, if anyone wants him, will trade. Um, I don't know that that necessarily makes you sellers. Um, you know, the Phillies uh, general manager when they won the World Series in 08 was Pat Gillick, and his nickname was Stan Pat because trade nuts would come and go, and he wouldn't do anything. Um, I think that that <clears throat> I think Breers is is going to evaluate things, but I think that he's pleased with with the talent on the roster where you can't sell the farm. Like you can, you can dump some of the older guys or, or what have you, but there's enough talent where it's like, ah, oh, we probably can build on, on this, on this here. So I think that's more of, um, I think that's more of what, what they'll do. They might be light sellers. I don't think they're going to be buyers though. Okay. So I, the reason I asked this question is because how I see this working from, from what we've seen so far with the flyers is, it seems like they do not want to do a full-blown rebuild, which it seems like they're trying to remain competitive while rebuilding. So it's, you know, it's that old building the plane while flying it. I think they're going to target instead of targeting like trading guys for say, you know, they might trade guys for like you mentioned a few few guys for draft picks. I think they could also very well just use those same draft picks to target young players that are have not performed up to standard. So, you know, the the Drysdale, the the guy we just got, he was somewhat of a disappointment to mm-hmm. this time. Now, granted, we had to trade a, a, a you know, a, a great young prospect in order to get him, but I think that type of player that was drafted hasn't performed, might just need a fresh start. I think those are the type of players that the Flyers are going to target rather than just collecting, you know, bites at the apple down the line. I yeah. think they're going to try and get guys that might be able to come in now and have a chance to improve the team while also being on a favorable contract for the next few years. Yeah, they, they've been just, it's been a disaster going into the, into the all-star break. I hope coming out of it with a lot of time off, um, they're able to regroup and put some wins together, make the playoffs this year. I think that would be a key, but I do wonder if they had, you know, instead of losing the last like five games going into the all-star break, if what if they went forward one or three and two, mm-hmm. Then are they looking at this thing like uh, maybe we do you know package some of those first round picks and, and try to try to improve right now? Um, that would have been a, yeah. a stretch, I, I think. I way, don't see any big not big splashes not like thinking that. that way, but no. yeah, I, I don't think there's any reason to. All right, next on the Shane Train Express, the NBA All Star starters were announced, and two spots in the East, the two guard spots went to Portland's. Uh, I'm sorry, went to. Uh, Damian Lillard of the Milwaukee mm-hmm. Bucks, and you know the big reason for that is he gets, you know, the the historical votes from Portland, yeah, as well as the, the, the Milwaukee thing ever. Bucks. Right now, uh, the other is uh, Tyrese Halliburton of Indiana. So you have markets like Milwaukee, Portland, Indiana, um, even Sacramento that are voting these guys into the All Star game. My question for you: What the hell is New York doing? <laughs> the New York fan base failed Jalen Brunson. Yeah, I know. Yeah, true or false? Well, well, false. Just, just let the coaches or the writers or something pick the All Star. Stop getting the fans involved. This is so stupid. Um, like, again, I, I think the only does it. My, my only, my question about the, these All Star, All Star games and all that stuff. Does Tyrese Maxey being a five time All Star at the end of the day put him into the Hall of Fame if he gets to that point, or does it not even factor in? Like. Do you get paid more if you're an all-star? I don't 
it's not it's not all NBA or anything. Like I don't understand yeah. what what's the benefit of being an all star. I think it's just the the history of it, right? Yeah. So uh, then it should be, you know, if, if that's what you're worried about protecting, the NBA has to say, all right, like fans, we really appreciate it, but we'll take it from here because you, you, it's it sucks to have a situation where a guy like Brunson is. Ha- I mean, you know, he, he's he's the guard, and, and look. Bronson's had a great year. If you look at his numbers, basically Tyrese Maxey's numbers, but he's crying getting MVP chance. The day he becomes an all-star, like that's really cool for a second round pick and, and all that stuff. Like, I, you know, who's having such a great year uh, to have to come off the bench for, for Tyrese Halliburton and Damian Lillard, like get the hell out of here. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I, I just hate the way they do it. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that the New York fans actually fail them because it shouldn't be their responsibility. I guess it is. So I guess they did oh, it fail in that, in that sense. But um, it just it's a thing know. of pride. Remember when like Victorino was trying to make the all star game and he was like he was right on the brink of it. So him yeah, and the mayor the... walked door to door to get votes. <laughs> oh, really? That's funny. Yeah. So like, um, I mean, there's there's things you can do, but like New York, it's the number one market and you have like he's selling out Madison Square Garden. Every single time he plays yeah. there because of how electrifying he is. Yeah, and great. for him not to out, I mean, it's Milwaukee. It's, it's, I know. Yeah. It's Indiana, I know. Like, so it's, it's in Indiana. So I guess like that, I don't, but that shouldn't still like be enough it, to give it, you a yeah. boost over the New York. And, and Damian Lillard is, is one of those like, you know, he's just kind of a celebrity NBA player at this point. I don't think Halliburton necessarily is where, is he like our kids? So How, it's, it's mainly because of the playing tournament. He oh. went off in the playing tournament oh, where yeah, it was really okay. just like, you know, every game was televised. So that's, right, that's right, a right. reason that he starts to gain yeah. a little bit more popularity. Yeah. All right. I, I, I'm so sick of the all-star stuff. I just, I'm so, I'm so over it. Transitioning, uh, actually sticking with uh, this, you know, general topic, not the all-star game, but Villanova. So I'm going to give you some numbers here in 2018, Mikel Bridges was drafted number 10 overall. The Philadelphia 76ers selected, um, Zaire, Zaire Smith, Smith at number number sixteen. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, that same year, the Sixers selected Landry Shamit at twenty six, whereas Brunson went three picks later. At mm-hmm. I'm sorry, went at number thirty three. Uh, in that same year, the Sixers also had the thirty eighth, thirty ninth, fifty sixth, and sixtieth sixtieth pick, and Dante Divincenzo went seventeenth. Uh, the two thousand seventeen, so one year before that. Sixers had the first pick, Markel Fultz. Josh Hart went number 30. My question for you is, would the Sixers be better off today with all the Villanova players and Embiid than <laughs> they are with their current roster? Um, uh, okay, Brunson, Hart, DiVincenzo, who am I Bridges. Mentioned? Bridges and Embiid. Yep. Uh... No, I think the current roster is better because I, I believe Maxie's the best player out of out of the lot. Yeah, I think so too. And I think Tobias Harris, even though he doesn't get yeah. much love, he's yeah. he's probably better than yeah. everyone besides Bridges in that group um, in terms of what he's asked to do. So uh, I think their I mean their defense would be much better. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean that's that's not uh not exactly a tall order. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's crazy that like I don't know I I just. I think the NBA executives get so far up their ass about, you know, we need a guy who's, who's 19 or 18 years old. Like that's, that's such an important thing for them. And I guess I kind of understand why. Um, but, but the interesting thing in Brunson, you know, is, is a great example of going against it. So he was, 
He was 21 when he was drafted. He was a junior, uh, and he so and he won the player of the year. The what Naismith? Uh, yeah, so he was probably 21 ish. But I think that I think that the the thinking is like 18 to 21. 18, you're still raw. 21, you're a finished product, and what do you see is what you get. I just think that's so wrong. Yeah, it and is. I mean. I mean, like, from the time he was 18 to 21, he developed under Jay Wright and yeah, <laughs> won uh, to learned how to win. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, I look, I think that he is in the perfect situation. Tom Thibodeau needs very specific players. The guy, the guy can win you a championship if he has like 10 Thibodeau guys, but if you gave him 10 Nick Nurse guys, they're going to go less than five. Like, they'll be horrible. And he'll get fired, and he has. So I think Brunson's a perfect spot there. But but I also just think like, how does like, how are you that, you know, that dense where the guy does literally he won two national champs? You know, so the th- yeah, so no, no one no one's no one's gonna do that again. No one's ever gonna do that again unless it's a guy who just sits sits on the bench for for Duke or something for four years. It, like it's so so hard to win two national champions. And he did it in the Sixers in building. He did it right, like I don't know. 35 feet away from the GM's oh, office. Yeah, but, yeah, I, know. I mean, it, it that that's just, the part that really drives me crazy. Yeah, I don't, like, I just don't know you why didn't have to look too far. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know why winning gets overlooked, being a winning player, making winning play. I, I just don't know why it's overlooked, but it is in the NBA. All right, moving on, sticking with the NBA. We have two left here on the Shane Train, true or false edition. With Embiid's injury, the Sixers get knocked out in the first round this year. Uh, True, yeah. They're, 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 this is this is a this is gonna snowball. This is bad. Yeah, they have to make and and you know they haven't made any moves yet. Maury's probably three moves, three brilliant moves away from getting this team to sniff the second round at this point without Embiid. Uh, totally agree. Because Maxi just doesn't, he doesn't give you sixty a game. Like it's just not gonna happen. Like I think he had fourteen tonight or something. And Harris had yeah, nineteen. He, he get their asses kicked. Like well today he got into foul trouble early. It was yeah kind of, missed but, a lot of th- yeah. threes. But it just it's just a. He's so so good, but it's just not going to work. You know, he's not he's not there yet. Where he's going to carry a team on his back to to a yep. playoff series win. All right, the last one: the Phillies' twenty twenty two first round pick, Justin Crawford, was graded as the fastest prospect in baseball. He will be on the Phillies next year. Wow, it's uh um. Man, he, so he's gonna have he's gonna have some some backing. He's been he's been working out with with Bryson Stott, which almost assures me that he's been working out with Bryce Harper, because um, those two are kind of two peas in a pod. I believe they were they were working out in Vegas. Um, I, I think uh, the the I think the interesting thing with him is you know you mentioned the speed and and stealing bases and things like that, um, and the defense that 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 he brings. To ooh, man, see for him to get onto man, I think for him, for him to get onto the Phillies roster next year, um, you would you would have to have uh, you would have to have some serious issues in the outfield, um, and I don't think you're, I I I, I hope you're not going to. I don't think he gets uh, false. I don't think he gets to the Phillies next year, but he's going to be an exciting player to watch. He's he's I yeah. think he's nineteen uh, right now. Or twenty right now. He's twenty years old. Twenty years old. Yeah. So I I don't think he gets up there because 
Oh, man, it, it's hard. It, it's, the it's the hard. answer to this one's false. You're absolutely right. So yeah. last year he stole 42 of 55 attempts uh, while hitting <laughs> 332. So try to steal 55 what, bases. The one thing that I found really interesting that I think the Phillies could use again, I think he's probably two years away. I think uh, so. Of his, you know, he bat 332, 193 grounders, 38 fly balls, and 46 line drives. This guy hits the ball low, and for a team that has all bombers, having a guy like that to be able to, you know, keep the bases moving when it does get stale, I think really just can rejuvenate a team, especially when he's beating out, you know, a lot of the the singles that he had should have been outs if it was anyone else running, and a lot of the doubles he had should have been singles if it was anyone else running. So those, like, I think he could be a really um, energizing type player for the Phillies this year, but I don't think that there's enough playing time for him in order to justify not getting him the reps that he needs to continue this development. Yeah, that that's I think a big thing with with Thompson as well is um, you know making sure guys are on a play, and I just don't think that like Rojas obviously slumped um, tremendously in in the playoffs, but. I, I made the case on this podcast and I, and I stand by it. He should have won the gold glove for, for center fielders this year. Um, and if you just look at the, probably the most important stat in center field, it's defensive run saved. And he was second in major league baseball and he played like 30 games. So, I mean, the guy's just out there winning games with his glove. So he would have to, he would have to be, I think for him to, to not get on the field as bad as his bat was the playoffs, which that would have to improve. But I mean, he could be hitting 200, but still saving you runs in, in the outfield. Crawford might have that same kind of kind of ability, um, but but I think right now Rojas is is kind of the guy they're going to bank on. Place your bets. So this is going to be a rare uh, two episode week for us, and and it's Super Bowl week. So you know we, we are going to spend an entire episode talking about the Super Bowl. Um, you know I, we will give our 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 picks against the spread, and we'll get into the props. It's one of my favorite parts about about the Super Bowl, and there's going to be some. Uh, some really fun props this year. Um, uh, you know, at, at this point, we're we're kind of at the uh, uh, we just had media day. I think was was yesterday. So uh, Travis Kelsey was not at the at the Grammys, but um, I watched some of his his press conference and his I guess uh, interview session. And the, the Super Bowl media day is sort of like a, it's kind of like a joke now. Like anyone can kind of get a credential. You have like a lot of kids asking questions. Um, that guy Dave Damashek from I think he's like on NFL Network. He always asks the each coach is in a must-win game, the Super Bowl. Like, yeah, you get a lot of that stuff. But and so you expect Travis Kelsey is going to get a lot of Taylor Swift questions. He is handling this better than I could have imagined. Like, I hate, I hate, I, I, I would if he started dating Taylor Swift and got asked a question about it and just said, like, I'm not talking about that. I would have destroyed him, <laughs> absolutely destroyed him, because I just you bring it upon yourself. Like, this yeah, is a life decision you make to date the most famous person on earth. You're going to get this question. He handles it. It's incredible. Like, is he? I don't think he's a that's like a smart guy, but his media training is off the charts. <laughs> like, I'm serious. This guy is going to retire and he's going to be like, he's going to do something on TV and it's going to be like, he is incredible the way he handles it. Like, he, he somebody, you know, they're, they're asking him, like, oh, have you heard her? Like, she uh, said at the Grammys last night, she's releasing a new album or something and she just announced it. And they asked, like, oh, have you heard the new album? He's like, oh, it's great. Like, I can't wait till everyone hears it. And the reporter was like, oh, can you like give us like a like a couple clues or something? And he's like, nah, I can't tell you anything. But like, he answers the questions. It's just like, he's kind of yeah. like, like a goofball, but he handles it so well. But uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's Super Bowl week and that kind of stuff is always exciting. But uh, uh, the Eagles not being here is, is a little bit disappointing after uh, after how much fun it was last year. But 
gives me a lot more time to get in the lab and, and work on those props and uh, you know try to make some fun out of uh, out of what should be a good game, albeit a expected game. So we will be back later this week with all Super Bowl talk and uh, hopefully a lot of locks. We we've done really well in the playoffs, so we kind of redeeming. I redeem my NFL season honestly. In the playoffs, oh, absolutely, the playoffs, yeah. like for sure. So um, yeah, we'll, keep, we'll keep the winning going. Place your bets. For Joe Simonera, I'm Shane Curran. That's all for today's show. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, and always bet on yourself. Philly and the Over is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?